G'day everyone, Kate from the Narrate team here. This weekend, Narrate started a two-part series entitled Kingdom. Josh spoke to a tension between how the world is and how we want it to be, and asked questions on how Jesus and the Kingdom of God answer that tension. It's good to see all of you. Um, it's been a while. It's... Um... I haven't been around really for the past month because I've been so busy with our middle school camp called Sketch Camp and then our high school camp called Super Summer. And so I feel like uh, in total, I've gotten about 20 20 hours of sleep in the past month. (laughs) Like I look at myself in the mirror and just look at my eyes and it's like, I look like a 75-year-old politician, Um, but trying to get rested. Um, I can say that with sincerity that I think there are some resilient positives that came uh, that will come from both of those camps. And so that's a big thank you to all the leaders who invest in our students. And then that's a big thank you to all of you who make it possible for someone like me and our leaders to share life with them. Um, So for those of you who are guests with us, my name is Josh and I get to serve around here at Narrate and uh, one way in which I get to serve is occasionally having a conversation with you all in a setting like this. And so for the next two weeks, we we're going to be having this uh, conversation about the kingdom of God. Jesus talks a great deal about the kingdom of God. He also refers to it as the kingdom of heaven, really in nature, those are synonymous. Um, and... To start the, this conversation off, I have a question for you. Uh, have you been on the news lately? And, and in that, have you seen just all the chaos that seems to be going on? I mean, on a global scale, I mean, look at the Middle East. It's just so broken right now. And to the point where there are droves of refugees trying to get out of the Middle East. And so because of that, Europe is experiencing a refugee crisis. And then this is just in the Western world alone, you know, in Europe and the U.S., uh, we are experiencing these spontaneous unpredicted attacks. It seems like for us in American culture, it's become something that, that's a bit normalized. Like every month, we're going to hear about some kind of tragedy that's happened somewhere in the U.S. And some people will approach news like that um, negatively and, and say that we are entering into uh, a dark era, a, a, a renewed uh, dark ages time period. And Personally, I have to ask a sincere question. Um, Is it really that different? Because as far as I can tell, just to use a couple of U.S. examples, as far as I can tell, 70 years ago, we were in a war in which 70 million people died. And then 55 years ago, the world was on the brink of extinction because there were two countries with too much power and that were too willing to use too powerful of bombs on one another. And it could have ended in it horrifically. And that's just a couple of examples, right? Um, and so it begs the question, is, is it really what we're going through now? Is it, is it that profoundly different? Or is there true, there's the realities about the world that we live in, that there are broken experiences that we have to deal with. And that's on a collective level, right? There's the individual level as well. Some of you are dealing with loneliness. And that's nothing new, right? 
Some of you are dealing with some form of a sickness, whether it's something that you've had to deal with for years or decades or something that hits suddenly but is also very threatening. And that's something that people have been having to deal with for some time, since the beginning of human history. Some of you are are wrestling with a habit, something that you don't like about you, and you're trying to brush it off to get rid of it. And you've been trying to get rid of it for years, maybe even decades, and it's still difficult for you. That's something that people have been doing for millennia. Some of you uh, have to deal with the regret of a decision in, in, a, in just a moment. You made a decision, and the results of that decision uh, ended in years of, of negative consequences. So, some of us have to manage ourselves in that form of regret. The truth is, it seems like we live in a world, whether collectively or for us as individuals, we live in a world that deals with the tension. And that tension is, there is one way that the world is, and then there's another way that we want it to be. And that's been going on, that, that, that's happening now, and that, that, that's been happening for thousands of years. And Jesus entered into a world that was dealing with this same tension that we are dealing with. And he spoke a great deal about a kingdom, which was very uh, enthusing for those who were hearing him talk about it. And we'll talk a little bit why here in a moment. But he talked about a kingdom. And he did bring about forms of change. He was this charismatic, um, although polarizing. Some people hated him and wanted to kill him. Some people had a deep adoration for him and thought that he was going to be an agent of change in their community, in their world. Um, And he did bring about change. I mean, here we are 2,000 years later, several thousand miles removed, still talking about this person named Jesus. But this change was very different than what his original audience had expected. So with that said, Jesus, he talks about this kingdom in fact, over the course of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, the, the Gospels, the biblical historical accounts of Jesus' life, he talks about the kingdom 72 times. Uh, and he considers it good news, something that's going to be good for these people who are listening to his words, something that's going to be good for them to experience. He says at one point, some people want him to stick around in his community. He's been serving a particular community for some time now. And then he decides to leave. And he says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also. This good news. Because that is why I was sent. He identified that this kingdom was his objective. And then, so on top of that, he's talking about the kingdom so frequently um, to a group of people who were looking for a new kingdom. He was speaking, his original audience, his primary audience was the people of Israel. And Israel being a country that was surrounded by three continents, Africa to its south, Asia to its east, and Europe to its north and west, 
Israel was a valuable piece of land that connected these three continents. And so for thousands of years, they had experienced empires trying to take this connective piece of land. And so they had the Seleucids come in and and overtake them. The Assyrians were horrific, the Persians, the Greeks. And now Jesus enters into a world in which the people of Israel are dealing with the Romans. And during these thousands of years of history... They had heard from their religious leaders that eventually God is going to act decisively on our behalf and he is going to establish a new kingdom for us. We are going to have our own home. Things are finally going to work out. We can govern ourselves. This new kingdom will be bliss. And so he starts talking a great deal about the kingdom and the people of Israel like, hey, 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 he might be up to something. It's kind of like whenever you're going into a circumstance or you're in the middle of a circumstance uh, that you're pining for some form of change. You're tired of being lonely. And then you meet that person. Hey, this could be it. Things could get better. Uh, That marriage difficulty seems to be getting better. Hey, this could be it. This is similar to the feelings that the people of Israel were having whenever Jesus showed up and started talking a great deal about this kingdom. And then he starts sharing stories about it. And he places it aside. He, he, he shares parables, which that word means to place aside. He says the kingdom is like, and then he'll share a story. A lot of those stories were uh, agrarian stories that were very relevant to those who were listening to them. So it could have been about a seed or a, or a tree or a farmer or a landowner and how he or she managed uh, his or her employees. Or um, some of them were about family dynamics, a, a father and his two sons, these stories that were supposed to be an image of the kingdom of God. But the problem is kingdom, or or stories rather, they're difficult, right? Sometimes it's difficult to pull themes out of a story. What are you saying here? What if Jesus was in sharing these stories, was trying to communicate, was implying that the kingdom is something that has to be experienced and not necessarily observed, This isn't some radical revolutionary change that you're expecting, but it's something that has to be experienced. And so I have an illustration. I've got a couple of friends that are going to come up here and help me out. And we're going to do an experience illustration with you. Here you go. This is a microphone. You talk into it and your voice gets louder. Um, So I'm curious, are you guys brothers? (laughs) <laughs> no, here you go, man. Here's a mic for you, Jerry. So, what's your names? Can you tell everyone your names? I'm Matthew. I'm Jerry. <laughs> so, anyway, what they're going to do is uh, they're going to look at something and describe it to you, and then I'm going to ask you guys what you think they're describing to you. So, uh, can you give me three descriptors for what you're looking at? Yes. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can go ahead. <laughs> Immaculate? Uh, I see some trees. I see majestic landscaping. <laughs> yeah, Jared knows that he has a way with words. 
Uh, you want to give me one more, Matthew? Yeah. What about colors? Yeah, it's, a, it's kind of a rush of all different sorts of colors, right? Oh, okay. I mean, I would say it's more like towards the purple side, purple and pinks. Okay, purple and pinks. Yeah. Oh. All right, so anyway, do you all have any ideas of what you're looking or what they're looking at? What's that? A sunset. What else? Flowers. Okay. How about one more? Uh, any one more? Okay. A garden. A house and a garden. Okay. So, thank you guys. You can have a seat. I'll take this mic. Thanks a ton. <laughs> Okay, so, question, did any of you have this exact image in your head as they were describing this? Actually, yes. Oh, really? Yeah, Claude Monet. Uh, As far as I know, he's one of the main Impressionist artists. I'm not certain what that means, but, you know, that's food for thought. Um, So... What if this kingdom that Jesus spoke about, he could describe it in a story, but it was first and foremost a reality to be experienced. Remember, the people of Israel, they're expecting some radical form of change. They're expecting the Roman government to be toppled over and for them to finally have their own land and home again. And Jesus shares these stories and says, The kingdom is something to be experienced now. At one point, whenever he's communicating about the or he's communicating about the kingdom a great deal, at one point, some Jewish leaders, some Jewish religious leaders, they approached him and asked him, uh, "You know, when will this kingdom of God come?" The text says in Luke seventeen, once I'm being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. So it's not, you know, it's not something that can be recorded in textbooks, so to speak. Nor will people say, here it is or there it is. It's not something tangible that can be pointed out because the kingdom of God is in your midst. He places it in the presence. It's already here. Some scholars would say that that, that phrase, in your midst, would be more properly translated as within you. This kingdom that you're expecting, it's already here and it is within you. And so the people who heard him say this, the people who heard him say that, no, this kingdom is not a new government. This kingdom is already within you. They were severely disappointed. And so you can go to that next slide, Mick. There's a tension between how the world is and how we want it to be for them and for us. And for them, they felt let down. And so for you, have you ever felt let down in this tension? Now, what if our perspective of Jesus has a significant impact on these words, the kingdom of God is already here and it's within you? Because one way to view Jesus in this story 
is to think that he's just some unattached mystic prophet who doesn't care really about what these people are going through, but rather gives some pithy statement that the kingdom of God is within you and it's, it's inunderstandable and difficult. But then, is that true to his character? Because we see him throughout the Gospels, throughout these historical accounts. His character was immensely progressive. He, uh, he validated women more than anyone in an unprecedented way. And he helped those who were the most unlovable in his society, something that was very rare. In fact, now, whether you, whether you believe in Jesus' death and resurrection, it's hard to find someone who won't say that I would like to model my life after the way Jesus lived. This Jesus had a deep and sincere care for people. In fact, the text him, describes him as being sympathetic toward what we need, toward what we want, the circumstances that we are dealing with, the temptations that we are facing. And so viewing Jesus that way, what if these words, the kingdom of God is within you, are remarkably caring? What if Jesus understood that we live in a world that, uh, in which there is that tension between how it is and how we want it to be because this world that we live in has a capacity for brokenness and whether that's due to fate or the fact that God wanted to make a world in which he didn't totally manipulate every minute detail which therefore gave it a capacity for brokenness. What if Jesus understood that in this capacity we are going to live in a tension between how the world is and how we want it to be? that this is something that we're going to have to deal with from the moment we're born until the moment we pass away. And then in that, what if this kingdom, since it doesn't doesn't have to be a when this thing happens, then it's going to be better. Because if when that one thing happens and then it, it gets better, then it's going to be the other thing, right? And so Jesus is trying, it seems like maybe what he's doing is communicating to these people, I want to free you from this when this happens, then it's going to be better lifestyle. Because to live that way, when this happens, then I'm happy, is really to live in despair. I mean, as an unmarried person who wants his own family someday, to, to think that I cannot be happy and joyous until I have a wife and children... That, that, that seems like a miserable way to live. And I, in, in fact, I tried, I, I did that for a while. And finally just became fed up with it. Like that, That's not a decent way to live. Jesus' kingdom is not some, it's not over some mountain or some mystical barrier. This kingdom enters into the tension that we have to deal with and provides peace and love and grace and hope Right now. So, with that, a lot of people say it's it's a relationship over religion. Um, and you know, sometimes it's like I don't know what that means, relationship over religion. Uh, but you know, can we just use it in more normal human terms as well? That to have a relationship with Jesus is to have a mutual care. And respect for one another. I trust that God cares for me. I trust that Jesus respects me. And that I'm going to try hard to care about how Jesus would feel about the way I live. 
and have a respect for what he would want from me. And then in a relationship like that, there's also a trust that should develop as well. And that trust seems to be very uh, foundational to experiencing the peace and hope that is available in the kingdom within you right now. So for me, I grew up in a church environment in which it was taboo to question God. And so I didn't. And then uh, I actually started reading the Bible and saw that there were a great deal of people who questioned God. And so I tend to overcorrect, and that's what I did in this situation. I started to question, and God, why have you done this, and why have you done that? And it could have been something that was really disconnected from me, or it could have been something that was really hurting and paining my own heart. God, why are you doing this? In fact, sometimes I would go beyond questions to just state, God, what you're doing in my life, you are not leading it well. You're not leading it correctly. And it became a habit of mine to the point to where I don't think there was very much trust at all in, in Jesus and his character and his love for me. And then eventually it just got to the point where I'm not experiencing any peace or joy right now. And so I started to, I mean, I still try to ask honest questions toward God, but started to try to exercise a muscle of trust. Got to trust you. And that could be because of something that you've proven to me, some circumstance in my life in which you prove your love for me. Or it could have been something where I had to, with, with a blind faith, trust that this Jesus is for me and he's with me and he has good consequences for me as well. So what if trust is paramount to experiencing the fullness of the peace and grace that is available in the kingdom? A few years ago, more than a few years ago, I was a teacher, and I've talked a little bit about this. I was a teacher in South Korea. I taught English there. And I taught at an English school, um, and really what it involved was uh, I would spend about five hours a week with a group of students, um, and it depended on their skill. And so I would take a group of students, and it wasn't by age, it was by skill. So sometimes I would have a class that had a nine-year-old in it and a 14-year-old in it. You know, there's a little bit of a range there. And I remember on my first day, I got a student, I cannot for the life of me remember his Korean name. But we had English names in the classroom setting. Uh, I remember his name was Jack. And I got this student on the first day that I started teaching at this school. And Jack and I spent a great deal of time together. Uh, I was at this school for 24 months. 21 of those months, Jack and I were together. And so I got to see him go from barely being able to communicate with me to writing complex five-paragraph essays. It was a really fun experience. And then whenever it was announced that I was going to be moving back to America, uh, Jack wrote me a letter. And in his letter, he said, uh, teacher, he called me teacher. First off, he said, uh, there are some students in this school that do not like you. <laughs> Thank you, Jack. <laughs> and, then, and then he said, uh, this is a this is just a very Korean thing. If if you had lived there, it would make sense. He said, "You are very handsome and very funny." And well, the jury's out for a lot of people still on that. So, but I'll take it. 
And then he said, thanks for the past two years. Uh, thanks for having fun with me, whether that was like playing badminton on the schoolyard. And then thanks for your help in the English classroom. I got to see my skill get much better, and your teaching helped in that. And then he said something that was just, it just struck me. He said, I think my skill became better because I trusted you. What? And so whenever we're in the classroom together, anytime I would correct him on something, some students would argue with me, he would just say, what's going on here? Okay. Uh, He would just say, okay, and keep learning and keep moving forward. And you know, over those two years, I had about 200 students, and I would say he was in easily in the top two or three. And it wasn't because of my teaching at all, because I was teaching him the same way I was teaching those who were, you know, the 200th student. There was the same methods being applied. I think it was because he just had such a sincere trust in his English teacher. So what if the kingdom of God in experiencing peace and hope and grace right now, regardless of where your life falls and that tension, what if what is foundational to you experiencing that is to have a sincere trust in Jesus and what his dreams for you really are? So what if you took that circumstance? What is that one circumstance for you that falls in that tension between how the world is and how you want it to be? What if you took that circumstance and gave it to God? And and you could use examples of God's faithfulness already. God, you have done this for me already. And so I'm going to give you this circumstance too. And then also on top of that, there's there's a a bit of a blind trust as well. And God, I don't know what's going to happen here. And I'm not certain why what I'm dealing with is happening. But God, it's yours. And what if in that, there's a peace and a hope and a grace that you can experience that is beyond explanation? If you're a Christ follower, I imagine this is something that you, you do on a fairly regular basis. And if you're just now exploring the idea of the, or or rather the person of Jesus. What if you took this circumstance? You know, you don't have to, you don't have to initially buy into the the death and resurrection of Jesus. Just said, I'm going to take this circumstance and give it to Jesus. Just try it out. The same way that you would treat a relationship. I'm not going to jump in head over heels, but I'm just going to try it out. And then as that trust builds, what if that could be helpful to you too? Find that one part of you in your life that is caught in the tension and then said, God, this is yours. I trust you. And I hope that because of this trust, I can experience a peace and a grace that I've never experienced before. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you offer hope to us despite the fact that there are certain realities of our lives 
that don't reconcile with the way we want them to be. God, I pray that your kingdom would move within our hearts. That we could experience what you have to offer us from this kingdom that is within us. Grace and peace that is available in it. God, I pray that we would trust you. Trust you in the ways in which you have already been faithful and true to us. trust you in those circumstances that don't altogether make sense. Just give it to you. Thank you for your kingdom that's happening now. We don't have to be in bondage to waiting on some revolutionary change. That the gifts of your love are available to us now. to engage further with Narrate Church, you can find contact information online, www.narratechurch.org. We would love to hear from you.